Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Fans, it's really time to place all your bets. The NBA, as you know, is in full swing, and the college basketball tournament is about to get underway. And hey, there's a $100,000 bracket madness contest available right now on betonline.ag. It's really the place to go for all your bracketology needs. You get the news, scores, odds. It's the best place to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. So go ahead and head to the website, betonline.ag. Use your mobile device. Sign up today. You get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. It's BetOnline. AG. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. Hey, gang, as always, we're glad you're with us. You know, we've got a fun twist on this episode as we focus on guests who have had a big impact on various facets of the sporting world. And one of our good friends and incredibly talented people is here with us today. Most of you know Laura Rutledge from her work on the national scene, currently with ESPN and the SEC Network. But we know her from her baseball days covering the San Diego Padres. And Mark, it's really cool to see Laura's career explode now with the NFL Live show she does and with SEC Nation. Yeah, Mike, we knew she had the personality right right when she came on our scene with the San Diego Padres. Very talented. And then she went off and kept on taking these opportunities. And her ascension is remarkable. How fast she's gone to her weekend at SportsCenter and now doing the NFL Live on ESPN. It's really pleasing for all of us that have been around Laura to understand that her success comes from a lot of hard work. Laura, I think we can all agree it has been way too long, but you have been so busy taking on the world, doing so many different things as we've talked about between pro football, college football, women's gymnastics, baseball, softball, the whole nine yards. Now you're running the NFL, it seems like, with uh, ESPN and NFL Live. Is there something that you've done to this point that jumps out to you as like, hey, this is the coolest thing I've done as a professional broadcaster? Well, uh, it has been way too long, first of all. I've missed the absolute dickens out of you two. Um, I would say the coolest thing was when I used to fill in host Padres Live and, you know, Pomerantz, you didn't really experience this, but but Sween Dog had to deal with me having no idea what under the sun I was doing. We had so many hilarious moments that that will live on in infamy. Uh, no. So anyway, I did love my time in San Diego. I loved Padres Live. I still laugh about um, how bad I was, but yet you guys were also wonderful to me at the time. But I really think if, if I were to honestly answer your question, one of the coolest things was actually this year at the Super Bowl. Um, you know, obviously things are, are so different right now and it's it's it just it almost makes you just thankful for little things that we wouldn't have been thankful for before. But just to be there and to be hosting a show um, that, you know, is a daily NFL show in and around the Super Bowl on site in in Tampa. Um, and it's actually was on St. Pete Beach, which was where I started my career as a Tampa Bay Rays reporter. It, just to kind of have it come full circle like that for me, I think, has been one of the coolest things that's happened thus far. That's interesting because uh, when you get a chance at your stage in your career to be exposed to so many different things, it's interesting to me that that uh, stands out among all the others. As you mentioned, you got your degree from the University of Florida. You're a former Miss Florida. A lot to talk about there. But a lot of avenues open for you. What is it, though, that triggered your interest in becoming a sports broadcaster in the first place? 
Yeah, it's funny because um, growing up, I was way more interested in ballet and music. And I, I was like the band geek and I did a ton of ballet. Um, and then when I got to college, I at Florida, I was looking for some extra money. I was looking to make some extra money to pay for some classes. And somebody was like, oh, there's an on-campus radio station. I And I went up there and they said, well, we have an opening. You can make six bucks an hour. It's in sports. I thought, wow, big payday, six bucks an hour. Like I need this, I need this cash. I'm going to do this, you know? And I, and that was without thinking, well, I'm not really sure that I'm qualified for this. I, I always loved sports, but I was terrible at them. Um, and, and that really was my entree into this world and into this business. And I think to answer your question, what I loved the most was that I wasn't good at it and that it was really hard for me and I didn't know what I was doing and I had so many failures, but yet there was this hunger to, to get better and to do more. And, and I think aside from that as well, I was at Florida during a great time in sports, right? So they won national championships as a sophomore in college. I'm covering that and doing it for the radio, but um, you know, being, being amongst all of those people and learning and, and experiencing all of that, I think it just gave me a passion for this that um, I'm really thankful for because I think in a different situation it might not have been there but that passion has only grown and I there's nothing that I love more than than just being at a live game and being able to experience all that it's something that I'm going to be really excited when I can go back to games again and and um, you know just be in that atmosphere again. Laura, you get opportunities in uh, the Tampa Bay Rays obviously you get you start with that baseball wise and then you get an opportunity with with the San Diego Padres with us. Do you remember that first for you? Because our listeners love hearing first. I think that that first opening day, do you remember that day in particular and how nervous you were? And how did you handle those nerves? Oh, my goodness. I was so nervous, you guys. Well, I look back at the first opening day that I ever did. When I was the Tampa Bay Rays reporter, I was actually still a senior in college. So I would drive from Gainesville to, to Tampa to do the game and then, like, go back and try to make it back in time for my Spanish class the next morning, you know. Um, but I, I didn't I didn't do very well in Spanish that year. But anyway, so. <laughs> I, on that first opening day, I mean, I had never really done live television and they, they give me this opportunity based off of an internship that I had done for them. So I, I guess they saw something in me. They thought, you know, maybe she could do this. I was so nervous. I, I was wearing a pink shirt. I'll never forget this. And I had such bad pit stains because I was sweating so <laughs> much. And so the whole time I felt like I had to be like this because I thought, well, I can't show that I've got, you know, which I mean, by this point, they were like down to my knees. So probably everyone could see them anyway. Uh, but <laughs> just, it was just I, I was a mess. And, and then, you know, I had uh, two years of baseball experience when I got to the Padres job. Um, but even then, like it was such a bigger role than I had in Tampa and just thinking, OK, I, I really want to do well at this and, and I want this to work. And, um, you know, I think for me, managing the nerves was more about like a mind over matter thing, which sounds really corny. But I would sit there and have to talk to myself and, and I would actually walk to Petco a lot. I think you guys knew that, but I, I would I. <laughs> little Italy. And I, I would like, I would hoof it all the way to Petco. And, and I would use that time to really, you know, get my mind right and talk myself out of the nerves that I was feeling. And, and sometimes that doesn't work. So I, I don't think it's some um, just like, oh, this is how it, it works so great for me. Cause I, I still have nerve wracking moments where I think, oh my goodness. I mean, even today on NFL live, we had all sorts of free agency breaking news. And I'm like, all right, I feel myself starting to sweat, like need to calm down, you know, it's okay. Um, and, and, 
I guess the biggest thing I've learned over, you know, uh, my relatively short time in this business is, is that if you make a mistake, you just own it. And you say, you say, I screwed up and, and you know what, I'm, I'm not, I, I was wrong. Or I said, I misspoke or I did this wrong. And, And I think at the end of the day, people at home like that way better than, um, trying to be, you know, somebody that you're not and, and not being authentic. You know, what's cool is that you pick that up so early and, and I, we appreciate the humility, but we know how talented not only you are, but how talented you were. And you oh. give us, you know, way too much credit. But the truth is you were more than ready by the time you, uh, you got to us in San Diego. And what's interesting to me is you have this figured out in this regard, you just made the comment I thought was interesting. And that is you got to own your mistakes and you realize, look, we're not surgeons. We're not going to drop a scalpel. That's really a bad day. What's the worst (laughs) that can happen to us, right? We make a mistake. Some moron on Twitter decides to light you up or, you know, you get criticized, but, or they laugh, but it's not the biggest deal. It's still though, it takes a village, right? To raise a child or broadcaster who inspired you most. Oh man, it's such a great question. I, you know, for me, I I think there are a few people along the way that really impacted me, but when it comes to actual inspiration and, and, you know, kind of the, the person that's kept me feeling like I could do this. Cause there, cause you're right. There are some days where you're like, uh, you know, if I read one more tweet about how I don't belong and how I should get back in the kitchen or whatever, which I actually like being in the kitchen, but I also like doing my job too. Um, the two things can be true at the same time. Uh, but for me, it would be Doris Burke. And, and I think it's because as, um, you know, if, if you look back on her career and just what she's accomplished in her lifetime already and how things have changed for her. And now, you know, she's a, a big time NBA analyst and no one says, oh, well, she's a woman. I mean, people may still say that, but I, I don't really hear that. And I think for me, what I love about her career and what I love about her is that it's always been credibility first. And through that, she has proven so much that, that listen, like she shouldn't have to prove, right. It shouldn't always be, well, she's a woman and he's a man and you know, whatever else, but yeah. a reality in a male dominated field. And uh, while I, I think you guys know, I've never been one to to sit there and dwell on the fact that it's a male dominated field. I accept that. I embrace, I embrace that. I, I make that work, you know? Um, but I think she's proven that no matter what comes your way, you know, if credibility is your ultimate goal, your ultimate first thing on your resume, no matter what, um, you're going to, you're going to have success. And so Doris is a huge inspiration. I actually finally got to meet her last year and I was trying to be normal and I wasn't. So, um, thankfully she's a wonderful person and it's probably used to a lot of people having, you know, sort of fan meltdowns over her when they meet her. She's, she's incredible. Uh, Laura, part of your uh, success comes with uh, listening and learning, right? Uh, we have to go on the fast pace. But I think it's fascinating to know that you have uh, mentors uh, that you uh, are excited about, but also they give you great advice. Does anyone or anybody stick out in your mind? Yeah, I've had so many. I mean, I, I'm so fortunate. I feel like, um, you know, people have just been so gracious with their time and their wisdom. Um, I think for me, one of my biggest mentors is Joe Tessitore, who, um, when I first started off at ESPN with the SEC network, I I met him. He was hosting SEC nation. Um, of course, like he's done so many things. He's been the voice of Monday night football. He is now back in college football. He hosts Holy Moly, the game show. I mean, (laughs) he's, he's got a, a wide variety of, of, 
um, accolades to his name. But anyway, when I was going to start hosting SEC Nation, which is the traveling college football show that I still host now, he actually said, I'm going to teach you how to do this, which you guys know in this business, people don't teach you how to do yeah. it a lot. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a sink or swim. And, and some of that is just the reality of live television. You have to experience it to figure out what in a sudden you're doing. And there's still things that happen all the time that you're like, well, I wasn't prepared for that. And I've kind of done a lot of this. So what the heck, you know, um, but, but his, uh, his, you know, sort of giving me a roadmap of here's how you can at least have success. And then you can sort of figure out your own path throughout that was a huge help to me. And, and I think just even knowing that a helping hand is there sometimes is, is that, that accomplishes a lot in and of itself. So um, Joe Tess has been a, a wonderful mentor to me. When you remember um, the career you've had, in, even though you've said, yes, it's not been a long time in the grand scheme of things, but you've seen and accomplished a lot and been exposed to a lot. What do you remember about that first national shot that you got? Give us a story behind that. Well, okay, so there's a couple. My my actual first appearance on ESPN was the Women's College World Series um, back in 2015. And I will never forget um, just being handed the ESPN microphone. You know, it's actually the old mic flag. Now we have the new uh, ESPN app mic flag. But they handed it to me, and I remember looking at it and thinking, well, that person just handed it to me like it was no big thing but this is the first time I've ever held this microphone and and I wasn't somebody that grew up thinking I want to work for ESPN or anything like that in in all reality I think even as I moved through the business you know in my early 20s I didn't think that was ever going to be possible for me and in fact I I had actually met with somebody um, at ESPN when I was currently with the Padres um, and, you know, just like meeting people and, and learning about your future and whatever. And this person said to me, you will not work here before you were 30. There's no way. Um, I got, I got hired by ESPN when I was 25. So it was, it was just interesting because I felt like that, that moment wasn't possible for me. So that, that was a big moment. Um, But then I think the other one that I'll just throw out there was in 2017 um, being on the sideline for the college football playoff. And that was my first like really big spotlight moment because, you know, 11 to 17 million people are going to watch a playoff game. I mean, it's, it's somewhere in that range. And um, there were some times when I started thinking about that and I thought, Oh my goodness, I'm going to go in front of millions of people. Like, what am I going to do? And um, I I will never forget, you know, just after kind of getting past the first interview, the pre-kick interview with Nick Saban doing this and thinking, okay, (laughs) I've done this before. I know how to do sideline. I've done a ton of it. You know, I've done so many of these games, like just get into your groove, get into your, your mode, which for me is walking like six miles in a game. I don't know why I just feel like I have to walk the entire time. Um, so I started walking and I'm like, all right, I'm back. I'm good. You know, <laughs> like I got through it. Nick Saban didn't yell at me. Everything's fine. Um, you know, moving <laughs> along. So, um, so that, that was cool. And I, I think, you know, it was, it was kind of a moment for me where I thought, all right, maybe I, maybe I could do this at a, a, a national level or a bigger level, even though I had already done a good bit of national TV by that point, but it wasn't necessarily as big as that, that spotlight was. Laura, what's funny about you is that uh, you laugh things off, as you mentioned. I mean, it's not really a, a big deal, but that is really engaging because I've seen a lot of people that even in my spot, they'll, they won't laugh about it. They'll just melt down. Uh, that's a trait that it, I think everyone that's hiring you sees 
and knows that's that's going to be something that they're going to rely on. Uh, any advice for uh, women out there that are listening and they're saying, you know what, I'd give anything to be Laura in that situation in uh, interviewing all of these successful coaches? Yeah, you know, I think the the one of the biggest things that I've learned, especially with coaches, it's true with players as well, but um, people just want to feel comfortable. And that sounds really simple, but I think one thing that I wasn't good at early on is sort of my own nerves or my own uncertainties and insecurities would then project on these people. And, and people can sense, even if they don't know exactly why, they're like, ooh, that person's uncomfortable. Um, and you guys do such a great job of this on air too, so people should realize that. But it's like just kind of disarming people and and letting them know that um, you know, you're not perfect and that this, this to you is, um, even if you're feeling nervous, that this to you is no big deal. So it should be no big deal to them. It, it, it gives them comfort, I think, and, and allows for great interviews, which allow for more opportunities. So for me, I think that's been a huge key, just keeping it simple, trying to keep it comfortable. Even if you're not comfortable yourself, a lot of times people have no idea and they look back. And if you were to say, Oh, I was really nervous then they'd be like, well, no, you weren't. I was, (laughs) I've had so many times times when, you know, I've even talked to some coaches or uh, players even after some of those big interviews. And they've been like, yeah, I, I was so nervous. I wasn't even really sure what you were asking or what you were saying. And I think we forget in our position a lot of times that like we are on national TV, but so are they. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're not that either. Right. So um, I, I think that is that's just a one real simple thing that I wish I had known earlier. I think it would have allowed for um, a lot better interviews and broadcasting in general. I think it's the one of the greater skills that you actually have is you're so comfortable in your own skin that there's no way that really can't translate to somebody that you're interviewing uh, and take them out of that moment because it's just to your point, one more pressure they're enduring is, look, I just played X game. Now I got to do this live television thing and the person I'm staring at looks terrified. Heck, I'm terrified, right? (laughs) Nothing good comes from that. You've done a wonderful job with that. like thought bubbles of people in interviews like like, like oh man I should have gone to the bathroom before this and like, what am I having for dinner I don't know <laughs> it'd be so good Laura have oh. you ever been in a spot where you felt like um you were being challenged by your interview subject where somebody thought hey you're either young or you didn't play this sport what do you know and walk us through one of your experiences that resonates with you still Oh man, so many um, of these these moments. One really sticks out to me, even as you were saying that, that I'd actually kind of forgotten about. But this happened, um, this was a, a couple years ago. It was when Mark Richt was the coach at Miami. And they were having all kinds of quarterbacks issues. And basically they, they had named a starter and then that guy had gotten benched. And we thought um, the freshman was going to end up playing that week. And it was a big storyline going into the game. And so you know, as much as I realize a lot of times coaches and players will get annoyed when you're asking the same thing that everybody's been asking over and over again, that is our job at the end of the day. Like we are the uh, sort of conduit to the fan to figure out what's going on, you know, and, and as a journalist, that's important. So I had had to ask Mark Richt a few times about the quarterback situation. And I, I had, I did one one more try at it at halftime, um, which halftime is always dicey, especially in football games, because the coaches just want to get into the locker room, get to their guys. You're trying to go as fast as possible um, for obvious reasons. But 
he blew me off. He, he was not, um, was not polite. And it was very much like, I felt like he was thinking, well, you're just being told to ask these questions, which in all reality, no one told me to, I told the producer, I'm going to ask him again. I'm going to try again. I'm going to see if I can get a, a better answer and, um, we'll keep trying. And we ended up not running the interview because, uh, because it had to be taped because we had tossed to a halftime show. And, and I, I look back on that and I thought that was interesting because we decided not to do it because we thought it made him look bad. And he ended up coming up to me following the game and actually approaching me and apologizing for his behavior, which I thought was really interesting and, and good on him. But I don't know, you know, it's, it's one of those things where you wonder, had that interview aired, how would it have been received? How would I have been received? How would he have been received? I've always kind of wondered about that and wondered, you know, if it was the right decision to sort of bail him out in a way. I think um, that that to me was a, a moment that I've questioned at times and, and I don't really even know what the right answer was. But um, yeah, that and that one, by the way, pretty recent, you know, like uh, I had a ton of these that would happen before that. And, and when I was, you know, early 20s to mid 20s, but it still happens all the time. <laughs> it's hmm. part, part of the territory, I guess. So strange to me how, how the sport doesn't necessarily evolve. And we've seen this in so many social justice uh, situations, especially recently. You know, you made a point earlier in the podcast about how you're highly aware that for the most part, it's a male dominated field. What are you seeing, if anything, in the way uh, of change regarding women in the workplace? Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's something that um, I, I really am passionate about. And I think for me, what I've found that like I can sort of do or at least try to do is affect this next generation of women who are who are coming up in this business. And and what I think I'm seeing on one level of change is that there are so many more women every single day that are interested in getting into this business. And I think that's a real positive because that wasn't necessarily the case even back when I was in college, you know, in 2011, um, it felt like there weren't that many women even then. And, and, and there were more then than there were obviously previous to that. So, um, I think that's encouraging. And, and one thing too, that I'm really proud of is actually our NFL live staff, which, you know, this is a, a daily NFL show and these people are in the NFL group at ESPN. So they do other NFL shows and other NFL programming as well. But our core staff includes a lot of women, including two female producers and then um, a, a bunch of associate producers and some content associates. And so we, we actually have a large representation of women on our staff. And it, it's it's sort of um, happened by chance that way. But I, I think it's been really interesting to watch that dynamic and to watch not only how the women affect our show and how they have such an incredible voice in our show every single day, including Mina Kimes, by the way, who I should have mentioned too, is a, um, literally making history as, as the first female, true female NFL analyst and what she brings to the table every single day. But what, what I also see is how our, our male colleagues respond to us and how it's no one even acts like, oh, we've got a bunch of women on this show. You know, it's, it's never even brought up. And I think that's, that's kind of that, that precipice of change, that next level that we're getting to that I, I think we're going to continue to reach here over these next few years um, of just, it's just normal. And it's, it's not that we're always saying, well, this was the first woman to do that or the first woman to do this. You know, it's more like, yeah, oh yeah, we just, we've, we've, we're just all doing it and, and that's it, you know, and it's not even like a novel concept anymore. 
I think that's brilliant when you have a stage like that and you can impact so many people that make a choice now at a younger age and say, I, I just want to be like her um, because she has acceptance. But it also resonates, as Mike alluded to earlier, is that you have that confidence, you have that smile, you have that welcoming to be able to have somebody go out there and take risks, take chances, because why not? Uh, you can be a great voice. You can impact other people. Uh, impact is huge for me. Let's go back to 2013, because all of us that worked together um, had the late Dick Enberg, and he's working in our booth. Uh, I had to do my first game in the booth next to Dick Enberg, the Hall of Famer. Um, he must have had an impact on you. Did he give you any advice that you remember? And we always smile when we think of, think of Dick Enberg because we miss him, but also we know we were around royalty. Oh, my goodness. I mean, you talk about just knowing that you're in rarefied air. And, and that was sort of always how I felt in, in being around Dick Enberg. And um, I learned so much from him for a, a, a variety of things that I actually still use today all the time. I mean, I think the way that he would um, enter into the broadcast, the way that he would go to break and then come back from break, and it was all this seamless transition. It was all this uh, creative, but yet he would use his voice in certain ways. And uh, he was so great at just the live event and capturing that. And then, of course, through all that, you know, calling a baseball game, which ultimately was his most important job. And, and he took that so seriously. So um, I learned a lot just from being on the broadcast with him, but also was so fortunate to spend a lot of time with him and just um, thinking back on, you know, our conversations at lunch on the road and, and some of the funny things that he would talk about his love for wine, his love for great food. I mean, um, these are things that, you know, I will always just appreciate about Dick Inberg, the person. And then certainly as you guys said, uh, what he brought to the table as a broadcast, Podcaster is just phenomenal. And um, we will never see another at his level. Like no. I, I really, he truly is in his own category and, and will always be that way. And um, it's pretty phenomenal when, you know, I, I, can, I feel like I can still hear his voice a lot of times and there's just not another that, that really resonates the way that he did. What a lot of people I think out there uh, may not remember is what a talented writer he was in addition to broadcaster. Unlike Virtually anybody uh, I've had the experience of working with, and for the listener's sake, I'm a little bit older than Laura, <laughs> just just a little bit. Hey, you know what's interesting, though? The parallel to Laura is that Dick Enberg had a passion for a lot of sports. You've gotten a chance to work a lot of different sports. Do you happen to have a favorite? Because I know for Dick Enberg, it was tennis. Uh, what was your favorite or what is your favorite? You know, baseball always holds such a special place in my heart. I mean, it's, it's like how I got my real start in TV because before that I was only doing radio. Um, but I do love football. I, it, it is like really a tie, but I mean, being able to cover college world series, a couple of those in Omaha, um, obviously I love major league baseball, but, you know, experiencing the college baseball world in conjunction with that, just the, um, the futures on that field. And you look back and I mean, even some of these recent college world series that I covered some, even some of the sec baseball tournaments. And now you look, it's like all these guys are already in the big leagues and it's, <laughs> it's phenomenal. I mean, getting to watch Bregman at the college level and um, you know, some of these big names, it's just, it's, it's incredible. So for me, I, I would still say football is probably like a slight edge over baseball, but, but when it comes to, 
you know, what I j- just have such fond memories of, that would probably be more baseball even than football. So they're real close right there, those two. Okay, Laura. So uh, as a sports fan, everyone turns on the TV and they flip to Sports Center. If someone says Sports Center, everyone knows, man, I, I mean, Linda Cohn, uh, all of these people that have formulated that opportunity and they've been into our house. You get that first opportunity for Sports Center. What was that weekend like? Because uh, that had to be extra special. Yeah, so it's really funny, actually. The way that I um, found out that I would even be hosting Sports Center is I was on a flight coming back from um, a college basketball game I had done sideline for. And one of the um, bosses who, you know, happens to be in charge of that stuff happened to be on the flight. And and he saw me, he's like, oh, hey, would you ever be interested in hosting Sports Center? And I was like, what? <laughs> um and of course i was like yes you know i would love to and then you know of course when they actually gave me some days i'm like oh my goodness i can't host sports center like i don't know what i'm doing what 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 you know um but when i when i look back on that day and just what it was like even like walking in the studio for the first time i had been i had toured that studio a few times just you know when i had gotten hired by espn and thought, well, I'll never work here. So it definitely um, a pinch me moment. But then not shortly after that, it, it, it was the first week I was on those shows. I We got some breaking basketball news, some breaking news out of the NBA. And I totally botched the trade. It was like I botched the trade. And then I called Adrian Wojnarowski some some version of like Wojcikowski or something. I mean, it was ridiculous, <laughs> guys. So bad. Uh, and so I actually went to the airport and I, I was crying the whole way there. I was crying in the airport, called my mom. And I said, mom, I'm done. You know, like I, they're going to be done with me. I just botched this whole thing so bad. And it, it was such a great moment because I, I feel like some of our lowest moments can be some of our better moments because I really thought my career was over and this wasn't that long ago. I mean, this was just like a couple years ago. And one of the, one of our bosses called and said, yeah, I mean, you know, that wasn't a strong moment out of you, but it's okay. You're going to try again. And I was like, what, what, you guys aren't just firing me like based off of that one huge mistake I made. Um, so, you know, I, I just, I, I look back on that week and it was such a roller coaster because it was like the highest of highs and then that really bad low and me thinking my career was over. Um, and, and I think it's a, a testament to, uh, we're all going to make a lot of mistakes, right? And, and just finding ways to weather through those and to weather that storm um, and knowing that, you know, there are going to be people who are going to have your back at the end of the day is important. What do they always say? It's not that you're not going to make more mistakes. It's just you get a little bit better at coming out of them. Isn't it? And that what really the business becomes is like, I know I'm going to blow this, but I hopefully am better at coming out of it than I was 10, 15 years ago. So funny. It's so true. It's the way it works. So you've got this, we'll call it a meteoric ascent because I believe it has been. It's been a remarkable journey for those of us who've known you for a little while to watch. Uh, Certainly deserving, very talented. As we mentioned, you go from Florida, you're Miss Florida, you're a superstar broadcaster now, and you're crushing it on ESPN with the NFL and the SEC network. I don't want to leave them out. And then somehow, some way, you marry a guy who is (laughs) An Alabama ball player, and you're a Florida girl, and this guy becomes a big league ball player. I I mean, straighten this out for all of us right now. Is he even in the room, by the way? 
He he is around. I'm going to get him to come over here. I'm going to embarrass him before he comes. Well, I'll embarrass him when he's here too. But um, yeah, you know, our it it is like the the weirdest thing when people find out how we even met and how the whole thing happened. We met at a tailgate uh, in 2011 at the Alabama LSU baseball game. I mean, baseball uh, football game. It was the baseball tailgate. And I was doing like internet pieces for uh, foxsports.com on tailgating. And somebody was like, oh, well, we need to go to this tailgate. And I thought, I don't want to go to this baseball tailgate. Are you kidding me? And then that was where he was. I saw him and I was like, that guy looks like Leonardo DiCaprio. So he must be trouble. Like, no way <laughs> I talk to him. And, and I thought, well, he's not going to want to talk to me either. But uh, we ended up like talking a little bit that night. And then the funniest thing is, you know, after that, we sort of like slid into each other's DMs before that was a thing. You know, it wasn't even really a thing then. It was like 2011. No one knew what that meant. Um, and then we ended up, you know, very shortly after that being in the same place in, in Birmingham, Alabama, about a week later and ended up in the same restaurant, totally random. And after that, it was like, all right, I guess we're dating. So he he is wonderful. Ended up having a great baseball career. Very proud of him. He's now into his next career, which is um, he's a financial advisor and doing very well in that, too. So anyway, I, without further ado, should I go get him? What do you guys think? Please do. OK, I'll be right back. Let's see. Hopefully he's here. Hopefully. <laughs> Fans want to take a brief moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Whether you're looking for that rare dead stock or the latest release, you'll find the exact shoe you're looking for. You know, as the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop that pair you've been eyeing. You know, with eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. You get a team of experienced folks who are going to verify the box, logo, stitching, and dozens of other inspection points. Each sneaker also gets that authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity and it also protects sellers with that verified return process and for sneaker sellers out there ebay has eliminated selling fees on sneakers of hundred dollars or more making it free to sell or flip your collection so go to ebay.com sneakers today ebay the world's best destination for discovering great value and unique selection laura we were we were talking about uh how you and josh uh, found each other, which still surprises me that anybody from Florida is allowed to talk to anybody from Alabama, never mind get married. <laughs> but there you go. You end up pulling this thing off. You have yourselves a beautiful daughter now in the mix as well. And I think another layer of this story that's fascinating is, as you pointed out, Laura, your husband, Josh, a major league baseball player with the Rockies and the Red Sox. Josh, if you could let our listeners know about your beginning. And how it came to be, third round pick in 2010 out of Alabama. You go to the big leagues not long after in July of 2012. Who told you you were going to the big leagues and set up the story for us behind that? Yeah, so uh, my call up, I'm, I'm in double A. Um, probably, probably about 80-something games into the year, I think. It was just past our... Um, I think it's just past our all-star game and like right before or right after, uh, the big league all-star game that year. Um, I, I think I had played like 
almost the last 80 something straight games. And I mean, we had a good, we had a good team down there in double A. So, you know, I was the type of guy to never ask for any days off. And, you know, cause you know, going out there, you got a chance to, you know, make a club somewhere else. You're not just playing for your team, but fortunately, um, yeah, we were in Arkansas. Uh, I got, I got on either a walk or a hit. And I think, I think I might've stole second or advanced somehow. And then the, the coach, this was like maybe third or fourth inning, I think. And the, the coach like sent like a pinch runner out there for me, or I don't know, but it's, it gets a little blurry um, at this point. It's, it's, been, it's been so long. It might've been the end of the end of the inning. And he was like, Hey, you're done. And I was like, all right, well, that's weird. Like, you know, I'm, I'm used to playing every inning at this point. So he takes me out. And like, there was a couple uh, older guys on the team at that point. They were like, Hey, um, this usually only happens. Like if you're either, you know, getting promoted or traded. So I was like, all right. So, you know, watch the rest of the game get get I get called into the manager's office after the game and he gets I can't even remember who he gets on the phone it might have been might have been Tracy uh the the manager at the time he said um it it was a little weird because like I said it was in the middle of I think the big league um all-star break and they were like we think that we're calling you up. We're not sure yet because one of the guys like arms is hurting and they're not sure if like he's going to go on the DL. So, but yeah, that, that's how it was. So, you know, didn't sleep at all that night, had a early, early flight the next, next morning, um, get there and basically spend the entire day in the hotel, um, until about what, three or four, but they lost no, all like your, yeah. So three in, three in the afternoon, I finally get a call, and they're like, "All right, come to the field at, for a, for a night game." So that was like, I, I think I show up right in time for BP. Turns out, like, all of my gear somehow got lost. It never showed up. <laughs> um, so yeah, I get out there and basically just go straight out to stretch, come in and see myself in the starting lineup like the the next night. For the Rockies so it was like bittersweet I mean I'm, I'm borrowing bats gloves like literally everything cleats I didn't did have, have any think, of did my... you think that was a gag like somebody was punking <laughs> yeah you? no I, I was like I mean I, I'm really glad this is happening but come on are you kidding me I, I literally played like my whole life for for this moment I can't even get my own glove out there so yeah Josh, it, was, it was crazy but um Josh for a lot of people win. A lot of people don't realize this, that in minor leagues, yeah, you're, you're playing professional baseball. You're playing these minor league cities. Uh, the uniform is not uh, – it doesn't feel good uh, typically unless you got some new ones uh, occasionally. But you're going into a big league locker room. All your stuff's gone, but you're putting a big league uniform on. You're also seeing Rutledge and your number on the back of the jersey. What was that moment like for you? Was it – the realization of no one's punking me and I just made it to the big leagues from double A. Yeah, it was definitely surreal. I mean, uh, I don't think I had any like say in the number that was given and I didn't really care. Like, like you said, you, you see your name on the back of a big league uniform and you, you know, step back, take a deep breath and kind of realize like, Hey, this is, this is what you've been playing for 
your whole life and, and it finally comes to fruition. So yeah, I mean, it was, like I said, definitely surreal. Um, it, it was even more crazy too. Cause like at that point I, I knew a very small hand, handful of the guys on the team because I had not even like been to a big league spring training yet at that point. So it was just like, a ton of new faces. I didn't know like that many of the coaches as well. So it was almost just like, Hey, I'm here, you know, <laughs> ready to go. And Laura, and what do you, what, pretty what, well. <laughs> what do you, re, what do you remember about it, Laura? Oh my goodness. Well, it, it was crazy because that, um, seven days before I had won Miss Florida. So, and the whole thing about that was that I had promised Josh that I wasn't going to win because we knew it would be hard to see each other if I was doing that all the time. And so, you know, he's like, all right, well, cool. So you're not going to win all good, you know? And, and then I, I won and he, I'll never forget him being like, well, you, I mean, congrats, but you told me you weren't going to win. So that was how our week started. And then he gets called up to the big leagues at the end of the week. And it, it was just when he called me and said, I got called up. I was like, what? You got called up? I mean, keep in mind, I'm a baseball reporter. So I know this stuff really well. Like you got called up from double A and it, he's being modest. I mean, he, he was a fantastic prospect for them. And, and they obviously were dealing with injuries to Troy Tulowitzki. So there were opportunities at shortstop and he had been playing really well and, um, you know, immediately proved them right by coming up and having a lot of success that that first opportunity that he got. But I, I actually missed the debut because of my Miss Florida duties, which was such a bummer. Um, I'll never forget watching that thing. And actually, it's kind of cool now um, looking back because I, at the time, didn't work for ESPN, obviously. But I have gotten the Sports Center highlight of uh, his debut because he he was a big part of the highlight. He was a big part of the cool. story because of losing the gear and all that stuff. You know, people loved that, and and he had a couple hits, so um, ended up actually you know factoring in in a big way. But yeah, I mean, I still get chills anytime I think about it, and I can still visualize like exactly what the Jersey looks like and what he looks like. And, um, just, uh, just such a cool moment. It's something that so many people work for so hard and never even get to feel that. And so to know that he got to experience that is really special. Josh, I'll brag about you too. Uh, because it, all, we all try to make an impact at the big league level, right? So sure. uh, for our listeners, 145 at bats, you had 24 extra base hits in those 145 at bats. That's impacting when you get there with that opportunity because we all prepare, right? Yeah. Uh, we prepare our college days, our minor league days, but that had to feel good. Take us into your first hit because to me, you always remember that first hit. Who was it against and what do you remember when you were in the batter's box? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was, we were facing, we were at home and in Colorado, we were facing the Phillies and Cliff Lee was on the mound and you know, first at bat, I remember, I mean, at that, at that time, like he was on, he, he was at the end of his career. So it wasn't like he was throwing like 94, 95, like most starters are now. I think he was maybe upper eighties, low nineties. And the first pitch like was a cutter, obviously his pitch. And I swear that thing, it felt like it was 95. <laughs> and it wasn't and I was like oh my god I, I could barely see that thing and so I, I stepped out you know took a took a deep breath uh kind of collected myself because the emotions were were really high at that 
at that point, obviously. And then the next pitch I ended up hitting, I think it was the next pitch. Um, I ended up hitting a double to, it was like just, just left of center field. And I, I kind of forced the, the double, honestly, it wasn't like in the gap or anything, but there was a couple guys uh, on and uh, got an RBI and I think advanced the guy to third and just, yeah, just, just hustled really good and, uh, and made it in there sliding. But yeah, it was a, it's definitely a crazy, crazy game to remember. Cause I'm pretty sure, um, I'm pretty sure that the score might've been, and I'm not a big score. Remember, like, I don't remember what scores are, but I'm pretty sure that game was two to one. And I think I had both RBIs. So it was, it was definitely it was. Yeah, I think it was it was definitely one to remember. And especially <laughs> off of him. Like you grow up watching a, a guy like yeah. uh Cliff who had such a great career. So that was fun. He did I think he did jam me though with that eighty nine. Hey throwing that cutter in on me. It, it doesn't matter. I've been getting jammed by uh, eighty miles an hour. That's the reason why I start putting makeup on right now doing my job, Josh. <laughs> Uh, listen uh the big thing to me is mentors in the game was there anyone that stuck out in your mind that that uh just took you under their wing did the right thing and and made you feel like hey man i like i belong here but this is pretty cool yeah i mean i would i I would say that that started at a really young age and i had mainly two people that you know were my mentors growing up one was my dad and then my brother, my brother played, um, he, he, he didn't play professionally, but he did get drafted like out of high school by the, the Red Sox and chose to go to college and, you know, played for Ron Polk at Mississippi state. So, I mean, he had a, a, a good collegiate career, uh, but my dad, like he, he never really played and he just, he, he saw that we were both very skilled at a, a young age and he took so much time to, you know, throw us BP like he had marked off in the the driveway of um basically a pitching rubber to to home plate where he would catch bullpens and he'd take us to hit us ground ball so like he he helped us work for for basically everything so I mean he was probably my biggest mentor and you know I, I wouldn't be where I I was without him so I, I would say him for sure and I mean, there were some there were some uh, college and professional coaches along the way that that you know I, I really enjoyed working with. But I, like I said, I wouldn't be I, I I wouldn't have got to where I where I did without my dad. When you think about it, Josh, uh, there's there's a lot of things that have to happen, and uh, you know you had the success of being a big leaguer early in that moment going through your times where you had to change teams, there's adversities you have to deal with. What was your favorite moment as a big leaguer now that you get to reflect back? Oh, I don't know. There's a, there's a couple. I mean, for, for me, like I I would say for my career, um, I was, you know, I was fortunate to, to, to play for, you know, I feel like quite a, quite a while in the big leagues, but uh, unfortunately was unable to participate in, you know, any of the, the postseason games, you know, that we had because the, you know, the teams that I was on during those, I was injured or just had surgery. And early on in my careers, you know, when I was, I feel like when I was really playing my best 
baseball. So I would have to probably say one of the one of the games where I either um, did really well. Like I had a I had a really good game back. One of my first. It might have even been my first season in Dodger Stadium where I went four for four with I think three doubles, or uh, I only hit one homer at Fenway and that was off Cueto. So that was, that was probably one of my more memorable moments, but yeah, I wish it would have been a postseason. Laura, he, uh, you, he, yeah, he's, Laura. A, he, he's a Cueto killer actually. Like nice. Johnny Cueto never <laughs> wants to see him. And that Homer was over the green monster, by the way, in Fenway. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> Laura, what was your favorite memory that you had? Does anything else stick out? Yeah, no. Um, so it's funny because the I, I was interested to see what he would say there. The Cueto home run was my favorite um, just because I happened to be in Fenway that night. And a lot of times, you know, because I was working and couldn't always be there, I would miss these games in person. And I'll never forget, um, you know, just watching that. <laughs> I knew he was going to hit a home run off of him because he had already he'd already singled off of him and maybe had he already had a couple singles. I'm like, all right, he's he's got him like he's going to see him. He's going to end up hitting this. It, of course he did. And, and just watching, it was like slow motion, the entire Fenway park, just rising to its feet and, and sort of being this one person in there that was looking around like, yeah, that's my husband. He just did that, you know? And, 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 and I was by myself, you know, I, I like was just there to, to see him. Um, so I was kind of celebrating, but almost it was, it was emotional too, just to, to think about, I mean, he had, he had dealt with so many injuries and um, to think about him getting to that point and being able to just have that moment. I, I, I realized, I think at that point in his career too, the significance of it for us. So um, that to me was, was one of my favorites. I also have a picture of him looking back over Dodger stadium that night that he had had the four hits and the three doubles um, in the game, which is one of my favorite pictures ever. It was, it was all empty because he took forever to get out of the stinking clubhouse every single time I'd be like the last wife left standing. Um, so finally, by the time he got out, I don't know what the heck he was doing in there, by the way, but he was by the testing time your was, love. <laughs> he was. was How long will she wait time. for me? Right. I waited every time. Um, by the time we got out, the place was deserted and it was just a, it's a really cool photo where he's just kind of looking back over the stadium and, um, you know, that's such an iconic place. So cool. You know, Laura, it's interesting that I'm sure you're nervous watching him play where he's most relaxed on a field. Right. But now Josh, uh, we know you're in the financial world right now, but once in a while you got to flip on a television set and not be watching CNBC and boom, <laughs> right. You're watching Laura. Do you get nervous? What do you think when you're seeing her do what uh, she's paid to do now? Well, fortunately, the market closes as soon as her show starts. So I just flip right over. But uh, I, I honestly, I, I overheard her conversation earlier. I think the most nervous I've ever been for her was when she competed at, at Miss America. Really? <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know. It's just, I feel like she's, so talented at, at her job now and makes it look so easy that it to me like when I watch her on TV I, I don't get nervous for her because I for one like you know I, I see how long she prepares every day and and how much she she works and and studies for this stuff so it's just like I mean if, if you've got a bad day like you just got to chalk it up to that you you've prepared you know you have controlled what you can control for this job and if something out of the ordinary happens, you know what? Dust yourself off and you got another show tomorrow. And you know what? That's, that's I think, one of the main reasons we love 
the game of baseball is you get to play it every day, you know, whether you struck out three times yesterday or, um, or hit a couple homers, you know, you get to come out the next day and, and do it again and act like nothing happened. He sweat through a three piece suit at Miss America. He was so sweaty by the time I was like, are you okay? Like, by the time I got back to her, I was like, whoa. I will say too, that I I think I was nervous there because she had already told me she wasn't going to win Miss Florida. And then we go to Miss America and I'm like, God, if you win this too, we're never going to see each other. So uh, it was was interesting. I think you already had a ring at that point. You already have a ring, which I didn't know that. And so he, he couldn't have proposed for like a whole other year had, had I, I wasn't going to win Miss America, but had I won. (laughs) We never know. It was an interesting experience, but you know, dance, she was obviously her talent was ballet on point. I think that was the most nervous. I I was for, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I just, I was just like, you know, just get through the dance and everything else will be fine. I'm not worried about, you know, you answering a question or anything like that, because you know, you've, you're very well-spoken and, so I'm just glad she got through the dance. And <laughs> what's, he, what's he gonna do? Like when Reese, when, when our our little girl wants to dance, or something, he's gonna lose it. He's yeah, nervous about me. Well, we know one thing. He, we know one thing. He ain't gonna be wearing a three piece suit. Got <laughs> <laughs> that right. Hey, hey, the the other thing that I gotta ask too, which I think is really interesting: a successful baseball player played in the big leagues for for a while. Uh, Laura, we know Miss Florida, but also a successful broadcaster. I want to know, is Reese, who you're raising this beautiful child, is Reese a daddy's girl or a mama's girl? Ooh. You know, it, it really depends on on the 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 day and, and who's here. Like, if, if, if we're both here, she's on her hip, like, all day. She wants to be held. But as soon as she leaves and say it's just me and her or – me and, and a babysitter yeah she's she becomes daddy's girl then <laughs> she only you know so it's best available you know <laughs> it's almost like what if for her it's almost like what have you done for me lately so <laughs> and, uh, she's, such, she's such an opportunistic little toddler <laughs> she's got a huge personality that's for sure i like yeah. the way you hesitated there you're such an uh toddler you know because yeah. we all have adjectives for our kids as they're growing <laughs> up for sure but it's She's wonderful crazy. it's wonderful that you're able to share in in raising her and that you're around uh because those are the memories right and the time you just can't get back so congratulations to you on on having the, the child and and to be able to spend so much time with her and enjoying each other's company and different points in your professional careers and thanks so much for spending some time with us and our listeners Thank you guys. This was so much fun. I feel like we've had like a nice gathering this evening together um, and I can't wait to do it again. Well, before we let you go, I'm going to ask you one question. Florida plays Alabama in a football game. Uh, What's the house look like when it's over? How much stuff has been broken and who's cheering for who? Well, you know, Florida did play Alabama in the SEC championship this year. And I got to say, like, my Gators did all right in the game. Uh, there was a moment where it got a little nerve wracking for you, I think. <laughs> oh, yeah. But the thing is, like, Alabama is so good that no one's catching them anytime soon. And and the problem with me is that I'm too much of a realist with it. So um, I, I just sit there and, and think, all right, well, yeah, there's no way Florida's winnings. <laughs> but it's not fun to be around him if Alabama loses. Like, I, the few fights that we've had that have been bad, like, you know, where we've really been – 
argumentative have been based on Alabama losses because he's I'm like, can you snap out of it? Like, just calm down. It's fine. <laughs> I'll, I'll say the last the last decade, we've really been spoiled as Alabama fans. And I I don't look forward to the day where Saban says, you know, what, I'm, uh-huh. I'm done. <laughs> so I'm going to I'm going to continue to enjoy that time while we still have him. Um, but, yeah, it, it's just been it, it's been awesome to to be a part of. Uh, the rivalry. I'm I'm glad we're in like Alabama right now. How good we are. She had that in college with Florida with yeah. all of their athletics. So well, take except it, it count, I didn't know you then. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I got to get some bragging rights here. You could take it from Mark and me. have been married a little while to our own respective wives. That if the worst fight you guys have in your uh, married life is about a football game, you're doing all right. Yeah. Oh man. Well, there probably been some other bad ones, but. <laughs> anyway. And all you gotta do is say "roll tide," right, Josh? That's all yeah, you got to say. Yeah. We're trying to teach Reese that it hasn't worked. Go, go, Gators is next. Well, she Sorry. runs your life, and she's gonna continue to run your life. You ain't lying. Guys, thanks so much. Thanks so much for checking out Major League Beginnings. If you had as much fun as we did, we hope you'll go ahead and hit the subscribe button where you usually download your podcast from. It could be Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, wherever you like. We're just glad to have you aboard, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.